Section 6 of The Law by Frederic Bastiat. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. The Law by Frederic Bastiat. Section 6. Rousseau. Although this politician the paramount authority of the democrats makes the social edifice rest upon the general will no one has so completely admitted the hypothesis of the entire passiveness of human nature in the presence of the lawgiver if it is true that a great prince is a rare thing how much more so must a great lawgiver be the former has only to follow the pattern proposed to him by the latter this latter is the engineer who invents the machine. The former is merely the workman who sets it in motion. And what part have men to act in all this? That of the machine, which is set in motion? Or, rather, are they not the brute matter of which the machine is made? Thus between the legislator and the prince, between the prince and his subjects, there are the same relations as those that exist between the agricultural writer and the agriculturist, the agriculturist and the clod. At what a vast height, then, is the politician placed who rules over legislators themselves and teaches them their trade in such imperative terms as the following. Would you give consistency to the state? Bring the extremes together as much as possible suffer neither wealthy persons nor beggars if the soil is poor and barren or the country too much confined for the inhabitants turn to industry and the arts whose productions you will exchange for the provisions which you require on a good soil if you are short of inhabitants give all your attention to agriculture which multiplies men and banish the arts which only serve to depopulate the country Pay attention to extensive and convenient coasts. Cover the sea with vessels, and you will have a brilliant and short experience. If your seas wash only inaccessible rocks, let the people be barbarous and eat fish. They will live more quietly, perhaps better, and most certainly more happily. In short, besides those maxims which are common to all, every people has its own particular circumstances which demand a legislation peculiar to itself it was thus that the hebrews formerly and the arabs more recently had religion for their principal object that of the athenians was literature that of carthage entire commerce of rhodes naval affairs of sparta war and of rome virtue the author of The Spirit of Laws has shown the art by which the legislator should frame his institutions toward each of these objects. But if the legislator, mistaking his object, should take up a principle different from that which arises from the nature of things, if one should tend to slavery and the other to liberty, if one to wealth and the other to population, one to peace and the other to conquests, the laws will insensibly become enfeebled, the constitution will be impaired, 
and the state will be subject to incessant agitations until it is destroyed or becomes changed and invincible nature regains her empire but if nature is sufficiently invincible to regain its empire why does not rousseau admit that it has no need of the legislator to gain its empire from the beginning why does he not allow that by obeying their own impulse men would of themselves apply agriculture to a fertile district and commerce to extensive and commodious coasts without the interference of a lysurgis a solon or a rousseau who would undertake it at the risk of deceiving themselves be that as it may we see with what a terrible responsibility rousseau invests inventors institutors conductors and manipulators of societies he is therefore very exacting with regard to them he who dares to undertake the institutions of a people ought to feel that he can as it were transform every individual who is by himself a perfect and solitary whole receiving his life and being from a larger whole of which he forms a part he must feel that he can change the constitution of man to fortify it and substitute a social and moral existence for the physical and independent one that we have all received from nature in a word he must deprive man of his own powers to give him others that are foreign to him poor human nature what would become of its dignity if it were entrusted to the disciples of rousseau Reynal. the climate that is the air in the soil is the first element for the legislator his resources prescribe him his duties first he must consult his local position a population dwelling upon maritime shores must have laws fitted for navigation if the colony is located in an inland region a legislator must provide for the nature of the soil and for its degree of fertility it is more especially in the distribution of property that the wisdom of legislation will appear as a general rule and in every country when a new colony is founded land should be given to each man sufficient for the support of his family in an uncultivated island which you are colonizing with children it will only be needful to let the germs of truth expand in the development of reason but when you establish old people in a new country the skill consists in only allowing it those injurious opinions and customs which it is impossible to cure and correct if you wish to prevent them from being perpetuated you will act upon the rising generation by a general and public education of the children a prince or a legislator ought never to found a colony without previously sending wise men there to instruct the youth in a new colony every facility is open to the precautions of the legislator who desires to purify the tone and manners of the people if he has genius and virtue the lands and the men that are at his disposal will inspire his soul with a plan of society that a writer can only vaguely trace and in a way that would be subject to the instability of all hypotheses which are varied and complicated by an infinity of circumstances too difficult to foresee and to combine one would think it was a professor of agriculture 
who was saying to his pupils, The climate is the only rule for the agriculturist. His resources dictate to him his duties. The first thing he has to consider is his local position. If he is on a clayey soil, he must do so and so. If he has to contend with sand, this is the way in which he must set about it. Every facility is open to the agriculturist who wishes to clear and improve his soil. If he only has the skill, the manure which he has at his disposal will suggest to him a plan of operation, which a professor can only vaguely trace, and in a way that would be subject to the uncertainty of all hypotheses which vary and are complicated by an infinity of circumstances too difficult to foresee and to combine. But, oh, sublime writers, deign to remember sometimes that this clay, this sand, this manure, of which you are disposing in so arbitrary a manner, are men, your equals, intelligent and free beings like yourselves, who have received from God, as you have, the faculty of seeing, of foreseeing, of thinking, and of judging for themselves. Mably, he is supposing the laws to be worn out by time and by the neglect of security, and continues thus. Under these circumstances, we must be convinced that the bonds of government are slack. Give them a new tension. It is the reader who is addressed, and the evil will be remedied. Think less of punishing the faults than of encouraging the virtues that you want. By this method you will bestow upon your republic the vigor of youth. Through ignorance of this a free people has lost its liberty. But if the evil has made so much way that the ordinary magistrates are unable to remedy it effectually, have recourse to an extraordinary magistracy whose time should be short and its power considerable. The imagination of a citizen requires to be impressed. In this style he goes on through twenty volumes. There was a time when, under the influence of teaching like this, which is the foundation of classical education, everyone was for placing himself beyond and above mankind for the sake of arranging, organizing, and instituting it in his own way. Condillac Take upon yourself, my lord, the character of Lycurgus or Solon, before you finish reading this essay, amuse yourself with giving laws to some wild people in America or in Africa. Establish those roving men in fixed dwellings. Teach them to keep flocks. Endeavor to develop the social qualities that nature has implanted in them. Make them begin to practice the duties of humanity. Cause the pleasures of the passions to become distasteful to them by punishments. And you will see these barbarians, with every plan of your legislation, lose a vice and gain a virtue. All these people have had laws, but few among them have been happy. Why is this? Because legislators have almost always been ignorant of the object of society, which is to unite families by a common interest. Impartiality in law consist in two things, in establishing equality in the fortunes, and in the dignity of the citizens. 
in proportion to the degree of equality established by the laws, the dearer will they become to every citizen. How can avarice, ambition, dissipation, idleness, sloth, envy, hatred, or jealousy agitate men who are equal in fortune and dignity, and to whom the laws leave no hope of disturbing their equality? What has been told to you of the Republic of Sparta ought to enlighten you on this question. No other state has had laws more in accordance with the order of nature or of equality. It is not to be wondered at that the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries should have looked upon the human race as inert matter, ready to receive everything, form, figure, impulse, movement, and life, from a great prince or a great legislator or a great genius. These ages were reared in the study of antiquity, and antiquity presents everywhere, in Egypt, Persia, Greece, and Rome, the spectacle of a few men molding mankind according to their fancy, and mankind to this end enslaved by force or by imposture. And what does this prove? That because men and society are improvable, error, ignorance, despotism, slavery, and superstition must be more prevalent in early times. The mistake of the writers quoted above is not that they have asserted this fact, but that they have proposed it as a rule for the admiration and imitation of future generations. Their mistake has been, with an inconceivable absence of discernment, and upon the faith of a puerile conventionalism, that they have admitted what is inadmissible. Visualize the grandeur, dignity, morality, and well-being of the artificial societies of the ancient world. They have not understood that time produces and spreads enlightenment, and that in proportion to the increase of enlightenment, right ceases to be upheld by force, and society regains possession of herself. And in fact, what is the political work that we are endeavoring to promote? It is no other than the instinctive effort of every people towards liberty. And what is liberty, whose name can make every heart beat, and which can agitate the world, but the union of all liberties, the liberty of conscience, of education, of association, of the press, of movement, of labor, and of exchange? In other words, the free exercise for all, of all the inoffensive faculties. And again, in other words, the destruction of all despotisms, even of legal despotism, and the reduction of law to its only rational sphere, which is to regulate the individual right of legitimate defense or to repress injustice. This tendency of the human race, it must be admitted, is greatly thwarted, particularly in our country, by the fatal disposition, resulting from classical teaching and common to all politicians, of placing themselves beyond mankind, to arrange, organize, and regulate it according to their fancy. For whilst society is struggling to realize liberty, the great men who place themselves at its head, imbued with the principles of the seventeenth and eighteenth centuries, think only of subjecting it to the philanthropic despotism of their social inventions, and making it bear with docility, according to the expression of Rousseau, 
the yoke of public felicity is pictured in their own imaginations. This was particularly the case in 1789. No sooner was the old system destroyed than society was to be submitted to other artificial arrangements, always with the same starting point, the omnipotence of the law. End of section 6